0: You're listening to a Tudor and Stuart Ireland conference podcast. The 6th Annual Tudor and Stuart Ireland Interdisciplinary Conference took place at NUI Galway in August 2016. The conference was generously supported by an NUI Galway President's Award for Research Excellence to Professor Stephen Ellis, the Moore Institute at NUI Galway, the Discipline of History at NUI Galway, and the Society for Renaissance Studies. As in previous years, the majority of papers were recorded for podcasting by RealSmart Media, in association with UCD's History Hub. There are now more than 140 podcasts from previous Tudor and Stuart Ireland conferences freely available. To access this archive, go to historyhub.ie forward slash podcasts or visit tudorstuartireland.com. In this episode, a recording of a paper by Dr. Breed McGrath from Trinity College, Dublin. Her paper was entitled Unmasking ES, the author of a survey of the present state of Ireland. I know, 16,
1: 15. Um, hi, so this is a manuscript from the Huntington Library and it's been used by a lot of scholars and it was also used by Brian Friel as research for his play Making History. So it's been very widely used, but nobody has previously identified the author who is known just as E.S. So I'm not going to discuss the content of his Um, survey of the present state of Ireland, it is your standard anti-Irish xenophobic anecdote laden, okay, Um, and there is no intellectual rigor in it, okay, and uh, anyone who wants to discuss its contents, I will do later, all I want to talk about is who wrote it, okay, and I would open a book that no one in this room has ever heard of him, okay, Um, so if anybody would like to suggest who E.S. might be. Um, feel free but um, I should say I was looking for him 30 years ago and I couldn't find, I only found sort of like two things on him and in the meantime everything has become discoverable and I had enormous fun putting together this paper okay. so the contents of the manuscript, as you see ES make it plain that ES was in Ireland in the years previous, um, immediately before 1615, had an interest in plantations, was involved in the parliament which was summoned for the 18th of May 1613 was familiar with the works of Edmund Spencer, was connected with Sir Thomas Egerton because it was a manuscript owned by Egerton, although it's dedicated to the king and was presented to James. He was a fluent writer and he used the initials ES in his other publications. Okay, this wasn't published, of course, uh, in other, other writings. So two members of the 1613 Parliament had these initials, Edward Southworth and Edmund Scari, MPs for Sligo and Oha, respectively. Interestingly, they were contemporaries at Oxford Southworth, who was from Middlesex, had arrived in Ireland around 1594 and he acquired lands there and he wasn't known for any literary output or any links to Egerton. Uh, he also sat as MP for um, Sligo in 1634. Um, Scory, on the other hand, was an English traveller. He was a writer with very close connections to Edmund Spencer he frequently used just the initials E.S. in his writings um, and publications and he dedicated the works in very flowery terms to important men, as in this case. Finally, his kinswoman Alice Spencer was Egerton's third wife. It is indisputable that he was the author of this account of Ireland. So who was Edmund Scurry? Edmund Scarry was the younger son of Sil- Sir Sylvanus Scurry, who was MP for Newtown in the Isle of Wight and of Alice, daughter of Francis Walsh of Chelsea in Worcestershire. He was the grandson of John Scarry, who was a Marian exile who became Bishop of Hereford in 1559. The bishop was esteemed as a preacher, uh, as in previous <laughs> paper, um, and was also, also an author. He impoverished his see by passing a large number of leases on very favourable terms to his son Sylvanus, who was a total wastrel, okay? Uh, on the other hand, they were a very intellectual family. Antony Wood described Edmunds as, quote, having no fixed place of residence but spent his time hanging on gentlemen and noble men. Wood noted Scorry's book on Henri Quatre but added, quote, what other things he hath written I cannot tell unless only various Latin copies of verses dispersed in several books near his end. Okay? Scory certainly tried to attract the interest of important men. His letter to Robert Cecil, Earl of Salisbury, High Treasurer of England in 1606 complained that, quote, if his desires seven years since had obtained the success of his honour's service, in the belief of which he was dishonourably deluded by Sir Walter Raleigh, his hard estate had not driven him to live amongst the Turks. He actually did go to Turkey, okay? Neither had he, like Job, been forsaken of his three friends who promised all to comfort him in his cause and have left him the argument of misfortune. He has none to seek unto but Salisbury, nor man to plead for him. Um, this appeal may not have fallen on deaf ears, as Scary received a license to travel abroad to improve his languages. He requested a letter of introduction to the Duke of Boulogne in um, July 1607, and he was with Salisbury's son, William Cranbourne, in France in 1610, when Henri Katz was was murdered. He continued to cultivate important men, claiming close acquaintance with the Attorney-General Sir Thomas Coventry and Sir Thomas Fanshaw in 1625, and writing to Buckingham in 1626. Scory was a much more substantial figure than Wood allows, with a, quite a distinguished oeuvre and a wide and important collections. He was a collector of manuscripts and paintings. He had a high reputation in his own time. He grew up in a highly cultivated, intellectual and well-connected circle. His cousin-lady Elizabeth Berkeley, to whom he left... My best ring, commonly called my best diamond, ring, my cross diamond ring, together with my best diamond earrings, uh, was the only daughter and heiress of George Carey, the second Lord Hunston, and Elizabeth Spencer of Althorp. Elizabeth Spencer was a scholar. She translated Petrarch's sonnets, and she was a noted patron of the arts and the inspiration for Edmund Spencer's Mu- *Mui Potamus* in 1590 and for Phyllis in his pastoral poem Colin Clout's Come Home when her sisters Anne and Alice that's Egerton's third wife represented Carolus and Amaryllus respectively she was also commemorated in one of Spencer's dedicatory sonnets to the fairy queen Malone suggests that Scari was Edmund Spencer's godson um, there is no direct evidence of this <clears throat> and also that Spencer's own son Sylvanus was called after Scari's father Okay, it's quite possible because it was quite traditional to call people after their uh, their godparents, but we have no direct evidence. Edmund entered Balliol, Oxford on the 24th of October, 1595, aged 20. He left without taking a degree, although Hammer states that he was conferred with an MA in 1615 when he accompanied James on a visit to the university. I found no evidence to support the statement. He evinced literary ambitions very early on. While still a student in, um, in Oxford, he owned a manuscript of Francis Bacon's essays, and he may also have acquired his copy of Sidney's Arcadia around this time. Scorry continued to collect manuscripts and books through his life, and he also bought paintings. Scorry contributed compliment, a complimentary <coughs> verse to Michael Drayton's England's Historical Epistles in 1598, uh, signed ES, but in the later edition it was listed as Sir Edmund Scory. Um, he also um, contributed commendatory poems to the preliminaries of Ben Jonson's Volpone in 1606 and Henry Peacham's Minerva Britannica. Sir Hugh Chumley's, that that's 1612, Sir Hugh Chamley's commonplace book, which is now in Harvard, um, included an item by Skari called A True Copy of Instructions by a Knight to a Friend of His to Speak in His Behalf for a Widow from 1625, which was in circulation at the time and believed to relate to himself. It's actually really funny. Okay. Uh, he has very grandiose <coughs> notions about himself that are totally um, unsupported by other evidence. Okay. Um, so <laughs> Robert Cotton's library included some epitaphs on James I, his wife and son, written by Scorry. Scorry wrote the first known account um, in English of Tenerife, fulsomely dedicated to Francis Bacon. Very nice layout and very similar to the, um, the survey in the Huntingdon. Okay, um, and this was used as a source document for Samuel Purchase's various editions of um, pilgrimages. Scorry was in France at the time of Henri Kath's assassination, um, and this is the only book that he published in his, his lifetime. Okay. Um, <clears throat> and it was dedicated to William Viscount Cranbourne, Salisbury's only son, with whom he was travelling in France. Okay. Um, it manages to talk about Henri Kath's um, assassination without ever mentioning the fact that he converted to Catholicism you know it's <laughs> sort of quite good going it's probable that Scari came to Ireland with his friend John Parry who accompanied Sir George Carew in um, June 1611 Parry was another travel writer who had studied under Richard Hacklud, and he published a, ge- a geographical history of Africa in 1600 and um, he was also well connected with the Salisbury's with whom he had been planning to travel in France. Parry didn't remain in Ireland for long. The climate didn't agree with him. He kept on getting, you know, he didn't like the, the damp, so he, he, he left. Okay? Um, although he stayed in, uh, he remained friendly with Carew for the rest of his life. Scari, however, did remain until November um, 1614. And his survey provides an eyewitness account of the Dublin election in um, on in April 16. 13, which he notes took place in, in the Thalsall, uh, he fails to note that it took place at 4 o'clock in the morning to rig the election, okay? Um, and a commentary on the Cavan um, County election on the 6th of April. He presumably arrived hoping either for preferment in office or an award of lands in the plantation of Ulster, but he didn't get either. Oher, where he was mp for, with which um, Scorry had no known connection, but then Ocher was a hole in the wall, no one had a known connection with it, you know? <laughs> <coughs> I mean, it was only... Incorporated to, to, to pack the Parliament with, with, with Protestants. It was one of 40 constituencies newly created to pack the Commons with Protestants. A number, including Aho, received their charters during the course of the election campaign. Okay. Um, Charlie, you oh, could have learned a very great deal from the way that these <laughs> elections were managed. Okay. Um, a number, including, uh, sorry, the, the Catholic MPs refused to accept the result of an election which was so blatantly rigged and walked out of the Parliament House. Forty-one Protestant MPs, including Scurry, signed a true declaration of the Protestants objecting to the Catholic's position and actions. On appeal to James, Oher, with ten other uh, boroughs, the ones that were incorporated during the election campaign, uh, was declared not to be entitled to be represented in this Parliament, and Scurry's brief Irish parliamentary career came to an end. He left Ireland around the beginning of November 1614 in penury and ignominy. And he had a thoroughly miserable trip back to Ireland. He claimed on the boat that he was a king's messenger and he was bringing um, letters on the king's um, authority. And therefore he tried to muscle himself a cabin on board, but the captain was having none of it. And so Scarry spent the, the, the night, lodged all night upon the upper deck, cheek to cheek, with a, with a rat catcher who urinated on him in the middle of the night. <laughs> Things actually got worse the next day because when he uh, disembarked, although there were 20 horses waiting for him, he insisted, because he was on the king's business, which was contested by the person who wrote this, um, that he was due um, a horse. So he called the constable and insisted on the horse, and the only horse that the constable could find was clearly a Shetland pony. <laughs> um, and Scarry got onto it, and the, the, the Shetland pony thought that Scarry was a bit heavy for him, and he threw him off onto a dunghill. So, it was a, I mean, it really was a, a miserable time, okay? Tomorrow, however, and somebody put him up for the night, which was sort of better, than he, better treatment than he'd been used to, okay? Tomorrow he proposeth with his fellow, Tighe, and his Lutus, so this is a man absolutely on his operas, but he's still accompanied by his personal musician and Tighe, <laughs> to go towards London, Poth he hath. Five pounds, 15 shillings in his purse to bear their charges and no more. The malicious pleasure in rec- taken in recounting this episode to Lord Deputy Chichester's nephews and Scurry's, Scurry's fellow MP, Faithful Fortescue, suggests that Scurry did not make a good impression or his fortune in England. However, Scurry turned his Irish experiences to good account, providing this survey to King James and to Ellesmere, Despite apparently receiving no preferment and his father's profligacy, Aubrey reports that Sylvanus, who died in October 1617, whose father, quote, had fleeced the Church of Hereford to leave him a good estate of £1,500 pounds annually, which he reduced to nothing and left his son so poor that when he came among gentlemen, they would fancy a crown or ten shillings for him. Edmund's material circumstances appear to have improved, um, although as a younger son, he might have been expected to gain less under his father's will. In that year, he had a bond from Sir William Cavendish for £1,600, witnessed by Thomas Hobbes, as in Leviathan, and Scari was sufficiently well established to receive a knighthood in 1618. His writings in Chalmley's commonplace book imply that he may have been personally favoured by James, whether as a result, this is his account, of his literary offerings, such as the survey and the beautifully presented paraphrase of the Psalms. This is um, from the British Library, and uh, again, you see the same sort of um, very nice layout. When he was writing normal letters, his handwriting was not like this. It was execrable, okay. um, as I'll show you shortly. Okay. Um, he implies that the result of his literary offerings such as this, okay, or his other attributes, which he himself claims to have, such as his elegant and informed conversation and his social address. Around um, 1619, he was involved in a series of legal disputes about lands which may have related to an inheritance from his father. He also wrote, he was living in Cripplegate at the time, he also wrote interceding for one tall, one tall boy, you should see the letter, it really is a chancer, Okay, um, who was in dispute with Edward Alleyn, the founder of Dulwich College in 1625, and this is the letter, so you rather take my point, it's a bit of a contrast. Okay? Um, Scory maintained his connections with the Stuarts, presenting King Charles with a portrait of a lady by the Flemish painter Willem Key, which hanged in the Adam and Eve stair room a stairs room at Whitehall and is still in the Royal Collection. Um, when the Royal Collection was broken up in, after 1649, um, this was sold for um, £4. Okay. Scori continued to be well regarded for his learning and his collections of manuscripts. When plans were devised for the creation of a royal academy in England, he, with other learned men such as Sir Edward Coke, George Chapman, Robert Cotton, Camel Digby, Michael Drayton, Ben Johnson, Inigo Jones, John Selden and Henry Wharton, was considered as an appropriate founding member. Scorry's literary reputation was higher in the 18th century than now. The foreword to John Oldmixon's Amoris Britannici, Epistles Heroical and Gallant, notes that Drayton's poetry, quote, was so much admired by the wits of the age he lived in that Sir William Alexander, Sir Edmund Scurry and the great Mr. Selden wrote commendatory verses before his books and were of his intimate acquaintance. Scurry eventually married in 1630. This was a really bad idea. (laughs) <laughs> okay. um, so it may have seemed like a good idea at the time but it wasn't okay? um, he eventually, no he was aged 55 and he had clearly been hanging out for a while for a long time because he didn't have any money okay? Silvestra, which is sort of interesting um, in the context of, of Sylvanus, Okay. Silvestra, widow of George Luttrell of East Quantock, and this is Quantock Manor House okay? who had died only nine months earlier the marriage was tempestuous and Sylvester threw Scari out of a window. Um, <laughs> a, a ground floor one? So, <laughs> um, so you know, presumably one of these. Okay? Okay. Um, nor did the marriage provide the material advantages that Scari might have anticipated. Sylvester appears to have tried to conceal her property from him before her marriage and Scari had to deal with difficult court cases. A court in 1630, that's the year in which he married, noted that the riots had taken place on his estate, which he enjoyed in the right of his wife, and that the rioters had taken possession of the manor house, other property, and threatened to carry away the corn and other property from East Grantock Manor. The court pronounced as incredible the claim that Silvestra, during her first widowhood, had secretly, secretly conveyed the property to two men in trust for her own use, for no material consideration. Scary died in July 1632, after just two years of marriage to Sylvester. It's quite enough, okay? Um, when his address was given as St. Giles' Cripplegate, and he was buried in St. Leonard's Church, Shoreditch, with his ancestors. In his will, which does not mention any earlier marriage or children, or indicate that he had any property at all, he left a number of bequests to his servants, including a pound to one of them, because he had endured the tyranny and the danger to his life of my wife. <laughs> okay. And okay. Um, he bequeathed no money or property to his widow, but only a copy of the book. And that's, sorry, you can see he actually got a very nice house with it, although obviously the women's were a problem. Okay. Um, and he left the practice of piety to his wife, generously forgiving her for all she had done to him. Okay? Most of the estate he left to his servant Hugh Busby, who later sold his books and papers. Sylvester tried unsuccessfully to have his will invalidated on the grounds that Edmund was unsa- of unsound mind. She remarried in 1634. Skari's uh, literary output has recently been the focus of some attention, particularly his, his work on the Canaries, okay? However, his identification as the author of the um, Huntington Library's Elsvier Manuscript 1746 is overdue. Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening to this Tudor and Stuart Ireland Conference podcast. If you would like to access the archive... Of more than 140 podcasts from previous Tudor and Stuart Ireland conferences, please go to historyhub.ie forward slash podcasts. All podcasts are freely available on iTunes and on SoundCloud. For more information on the annual Tudor and Stuart Ireland Interdisciplinary Conference, visit the conference website at tutorstuartireland.com.